please turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Great thing about the technology is that I'm fighting off wearing the glasses publicly because I can just do that with my fingers and the writing gets bigger. It's excellent. I can't do that in my Bible though. That's, that's the only thing. Uh, Acts chapter 16. I've shared this story before, but I wanted to spend some time this morning just looking a little bit more at it. Um, I like to spend a few weeks on different topics. I don't like just um, plucking something here, plucking something there. Unfortunately, the season of life we're in at the moment, um, I've been able to, to spend a few weeks on a few different things, but, but uh, there's a lot of, lot of dancing around and so on. Um, when time frees up pretty soon, hopefully we'll be able to spend a bit more time looking at particular things and issues and, and diving a bit more deeply into them. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about today is I want to have a look at this whole issue of worship, praise and worship. It's a simple little thing. Uh, but how many of you know praise and worship is not just a, an entree to a Christian service on a Sunday morning? How many of you know it's not just a case of uh, it's the warm-up before the the meal comes, you know, we'll bring out our dim sims. That's, we had a, three dim sims this morning, so everyone have a bit of a mung on those. Settle your appetite there, settle yourself down, then you can sit down, we'll get into the main thing. Um, I can understand how a lot of people perceive worship as that. It's just something that we do to start off a Sunday morning service. But the power of praise and worship is so much more than that. So I want to have a little bit of a look at worship this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, oh, we do. We've got a screen. We'll put the words up on here for you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning because uh, I think it, it, it's a lot more simpler and straight to the point. Acts chapter 16. Um, have gone out and they've preached the word of God and they have uh, shared the message of Jesus with a whole bunch of people and some wonderful, wonderful things have happened. Uh, it says that as a result of that, they were taken and they were thrown into a prison. And we start the story in verse 16. It says, One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. A bit like a, um, a psychic today that, that would charge you 100 bucks to sit down with them for five minutes and they'll have a bit of a guess about what your future might look like and throw in a few generic things there that there's a very good chance it'll happen anyway, you know. I remember when we uh, uh, fell pregnant with our first child, we went to a church. I don't know the name of the church or what, but we went to the Gold Coast to a church and a woman, uh, a prophet, a lady called us up the front and said, I perceive you're pregnant. And I thought, I, I, it's fairly perceptible of you. Um, I perceive that you're pregnant. Yes, we are. And, and I, I, can, I believe you're going to have a... Um, uh, 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 girl, wasn't it? She said, you're going to have a girl. And then she stopped and went, but it could be a boy. <laughs> That's a great, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Confirmation that we're having a child. Um, by the way, she's probably a wonderful person. I'm just, just saying that uh, uh, quite often these psychics and, and these uh, diviners and all these people, they prey on the basics of life and people run to it and go, oh, wow, look, that was so spot on. They said it, was gonna, they said it might rain today and it did. Look, I'm going back with more money because they can tell me more about my future. But beyond that, there's a, a, a realm they're tapping into as well that's not the best. And this girl was tapping into that realm and her masters were making money off her as she would uh, tell the fortunes in the future of different people. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for a master. She followed along behind us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and spoke to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. He said and instantly the demon left. 
Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city's in an uproar because of these Jews. They're teaching the people to do things that are against Roman customs. Mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. The city officials ordered them stripped, beat them with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so they took no chances but put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. This is a bad situation they found themselves in. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a great earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. It's kind of an odd story in the Bible, yet we we understand it. These guys are out there, they're doing everything right. Have, have, Have you ever been in a position in your life where you're doing everything right? You're confident, you're hearing from God. You're doing with your life what God wants you to do. You're heading in the direction that you should be heading in. You're doing everything for your part right, but you find yourself all of a sudden in a really bad, dark, damp, midnight type situation where you're shackled and you're chained. These guys were doing everything right, everything according to the book. They were doing exactly what Jesus commissioned the disciples to do. That was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So the gospel comes to the continent of Europe. A church gets started. And then a demon-possessed girl gets set free. I mean, these are good things. These are God things that are taking place. And then all of a sudden, all hell just seems to break loose upon these guys' lives. From the Bible, we know that they're beaten severely. (laughs) We know that there are false allegations that are made against them. We know that they end up in prison. We know that they end up not just in prison, but in solitary confinement, basically. They end up in the inner dungeon of the prison, way down below the ground. We know their feet are placed in stocks. We know that their hands are chained. We know that the door of the cell is securely locked. We know that they are emotionally and physically spent. They've been beaten. They've had accusations. All kinds of things happen. They're tired. Their backs are bleeding from the beating. Their bodies are covered in bruises. We know they're receiving no medical aid. And I guess they're pretty brassed off about the whole situation. And the Bible says that And Paul and Silas started to whinge and complain to the Lord. Oh, hang on. No, no, that's my notes. That's what I would have done. Sorry. If I go back to the Bible, it says around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, praying we can kind of understand. Even atheists will pray when they find themselves in a dark, difficult situation. Uh, The amount of people that don't believe in God, but when something happens to a family member, why did God let this happen? Five hours ago, you didn't even believe in God. Now you're going to blame God for things that aren't going right in your world. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. You don't believe in God, yet he's the first person you blame when something negative happens in your life. People that don't have any faith will find themselves in a difficult, dark situation and they might cry out to God in the hope that if there's something out there, if there's anything out there, please, will you help me? I don't know who you are, what to call you, where to look for you, but if there's something there, will you please help me? So I can understand them locked in this dungeon praying, crying out to God. From either a place of frustration, maybe a place of anger, a place of desperation. I can understand that. But the Bible says that they were singing and praising God. Now that doesn't necessarily compute when I think about those midnight moments. 
But the more I read this story and the more I, I, I go back and you look at the history of worship and what it's all about, I begin to understand why they would do that and how they could do that. Do you ever feel like you can relate to this situation? Everything's happening, you're doing everything right, you're dotting your I's, you're crossing your T's, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a moment that can only be referred to as midnight, the darkest point of the day, the darkest point in that 24-hour cycle. That's what midnight represents. And the Bible says that at midnight, these guys are actually praying and they're worshipping God. How do you respond in those real dark moments of your life? What do you turn to? What's your mechanism? How do you make sense of life in those times? What do you turn to to help you get through? Do you yell at the kids in those dark moments as the frustration rise and and you'll yell at your kids or maybe you'll yell at your partner, your spouse, you'll start taking it out on them. It's how you cope with it, it's how you deal with it. Do you isolate yourself from the world? Do you just withdraw? Pull yourself away from society, away from everybody at midnight because I just can't deal with it. Can't deal with the pressures, can't deal with what's coming up, I can't deal with where I am right now, so I'm just going to isolate myself. Cut off communication from everybody. Do my own thing. Me and Jackie have this little saying, I, by nature, I'm a bit of an isolator, I, uh, not necessarily in pressure moments, but I, just, I need my time to refresh. I don't necessarily refresh with a 1,000 people. I love my, my solitary time. So when I go to a place like Sydney, like I did last week, it drives me nuts because I just can't find anywhere where there's not somebody um, looking at you or, or you know, interacting and you just can't let your world out. Nah! You know? But Jackie always says to me, when I, I go quiet, are you going to your cave? And we have this little, yes, I'm, I'm just in my cave at the moment. So it's all good, everything's good. I've just gone to my cave. Just have a little bit of solitary time. She goes, no worries, I'll leave you in your cave for a bit and uh, we'll come back together when you, when you come out. But do you isolate yourself? Do you run into the arms of false comforts? In midnight, do you reach for drugs? Do you turn to a bottle? Medication? At midnight, do you go on a shopping spree to make yourself feel better? To just try to forget everything that's going on, I'm going to go and rack up credit card debt. If I can just buy five new pairs of shoes, I reckon that situation will look so much different. So I'll run out and I'll go on a bit of a shopping spree. What do you do? How do you respond in those really dark moments of your life? Well, Paul and Silas, the Bible says, prayed and sang hymns to God. They prayed and they sang hymns, praise and worship to God in that moment. How many of you know it's either midnight now or you're just coming out of midnight or you're just about to go into midnight? But midnight moments will come to all of us. We're in it, we've just come through it, or we're heading into the next one. It's part of the cycle of life. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. It's light, it's dark. The road goes up, the road. It's part of the cycle and the journey of life. We don't live on mountaintops all the time. It's not unspiritual and unchristian to say that. The Bible says that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know about you, but when I hear that terminology, hmm, valley, if I'm driving down the street with my family, I see a sign, hey, valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going down that road. I'm not going to indicate, go, hey, kids, let's go check this place out. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a good place. Yet the Bible says that though we walk through that, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. He's with us in those midnight and dark moments. So how do you respond 
to those moments. It's interesting the way Paul and Silas responded to this. Now let's keep in mind, we're not reading a fictional story. We're reading an actual, real, historical account of two real men that actually went through this. They were actually beaten. They were placed in stocks. They were placed down in a solitary confinement under the ground. There was no hope. There was no expectation of being released or set free. They were beaten. They did have false accusations. They were humans like you and me. And they found themselves in that situation. And it wasn't like now where you get, we'll give you one phone call. Paul and Silas, you each get one phone call before we lock you up. Who are you going to call? Your lawyer? You You know? You didn't get that. It was just, you're on the street. We've seen what's happened. We grab you by the scruff of the neck. We take you into a room. We beat you. We question you. We throw you down there. Your best friends, the guy that you said, I'll meet you at 12 for lunch at Macca's. He's still sitting there at one o'clock. I wonder where Paul and Silas are. So I haven't got a text message for them. Then the guy next to him says, what's a text message? He goes, oh, I don't know. I just made that up. I'm a prophet. Somewhere down the track, I can see text messages. It's mobile phones. So how do you respond at midnight? One of the most powerful weapons that God's given to us to get through midnight moments in our lives is the weapon of praise and worship. It's a pathway out of prison for those of us who find ourselves in captivity. The word praise means to express one's respect and gratitude towards, uh, to express warm approval and admiration of. It actually comes, our English word praise actually comes from a French word, pressier. Pressier. Now, I don't know if that's how you say it. That's just how I say it in my imitation French accent. Pressier. And that word means to prize, to prize something. When we praise, we are prizing who God is. We are giving admiration and rightful place to God. That's what praise and worship is all about. So what makes worship such a powerful thing? If I go back to the Old Testament and you have a look at worship, isn't it interesting that when the nations of Israel would go into worship, into battle, that there would be singers? You ever read the stories? There would be singers at the front. Why would you not put soldiers up the front? Why would you not have your biggest, strongest, toughest buff guys, big swords and hammers and all the other things, why would you not have those guys up the front? Why would you want to go into battle the dark midnight times? Why would you want to have worship? Why would you want people singing up the front? For goodness sake, come on. Singers. You imagine state of origins on in a few weeks, and I reckon when they run out there, you imagine the, you know, the, 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 the um, two sides getting out there and, and you've got, uh, say, a test match, and you know, the Kiwis do the, oh, come on. They do all the haka stuff, you know? And then all of a sudden, Australian, some people walk out the front, not, let's send the singers out. You say, let's send our singers out. You know? It just doesn't fit that kind of an environment. Let's have some singers. If we're going to do that, why don't we throw some dancers in there as well? A couple of pirouettes and spins. Yeah, let's, let's put on a whole show, Moulin Rouge. Doesn't make sense. But yet in the Old Testament, worship was such an integral part of life. It wasn't something that they just did for 15 minutes on a Sunday morning when they went to church. Worship was a part of their whole cultural experience. It, it imbibed itself in everything that they did. Why is worship so Powerful. I'll tell you why worship and praise are so powerful. Because it helps us focus on the real reality. It helps us focus on the real reality. How many of you know that there are parallel realities happening? 
all around us. The question is, which reality is more real than the other reality? There was some research done by a woman called Vicky Medvedek. She was a professor at Northwestern University, and she studied Olympic medalists, and she discovered this. She discovered that bronze medalists were happier than silver medalists. People who won a bronze medal were happier than people who won silver medals at Olympics. Why? She found that silver medalists tended to focus on how close they came to winning gold so they weren't satisfied with the silver. Whereas bronze medalists tended to focus on how close they came to not winning a medal at all so they were happy to be on the medal stand at all, period. Silver medalists, next time when you watch the Olympics when they come on up and you're looking at those three people on the podium... Obviously, the guy that won the gold is going to be pretty chuffed. The guy holding the silver, I want you to look at him and think, that guy is less satisfied than the guy with the bronze. He's more disappointed at the fact that he didn't get the gold, whereas the bronze guy is excited that he scraped in there at all, that he got the chance. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Your focus determines your reality. Okay, How we feel isn't determined by objective circumstances. If that was the case, silver medalists would be happier than a bronze medalist. Because they had... Silver medalists would be happier than bronze medalists because they had an objectively better result. But how we feel isn't determined by our objective circumstances. How we feel is determined by our subjective focus. What are you looking at in the moment? You'll be more impacted and more affected by what you're looking at, what you're seeing, than what's actually happening. It's all focus, perspective. And worship helps bring us to a place of different perspective and different focus. Paul and Silas, if they were sitting there just focusing on the chains in the dungeon and the smells and the pain, they wouldn't be praising God. What they'd be doing is saying, God, how did you let this happen to us? I mean, we've done everything right. We've dotted the I's. We've crossed the T's. We're doing everything correct. God, you're failing us somehow. Or maybe they'd be sitting there going, God, maybe we weren't meant to preach the gospel here. Maybe we shouldn't have prayed for that demon-possessed girl. Maybe we should have let the demon have her. Maybe we've done something wrong and we're in this circumstance of God. But their focus wasn't on any of that. Their focus was on God. Their focus was on Jesus. The principle is very simple. We tend to see what we're looking at. So what are you looking at in the midst of your dark moments? What are you looking at? What are you seeing? What's the vision in front of your eyes? In 2 Kings chapter 6, we've got an interesting story. (coughs) Verse 14 to 17, we all know this story. The king of Aram, he is coming out against Israel. And every time he goes to take on the Israelites... Somehow the Israelites knew he was coming. Somehow they knew not to be in this place because uh, there was this prophet called Elisha. And Elijah was connected to God, like the camper trailer. And God would say to Elisha, tell the king of Israel that don't go behind that mountain there because there's an ambush waiting. So they wouldn't go. They'd go somewhere else. And then the king of Aram would go, right, yeah, we're going to go and attack them here. And God would speak to Elisha and say, tell the king of Israel, don't go here, go over there. So they'd go over here and they'd be speared again against this massive army. And the king of Aram got so frustrated, he called his own generals in. He said, which one of you are a snitch? Which one of you are, what's the word when you're you know, speaking? Spies. Good word. Great choice of words. 
Which one of you are a spy and you're telling the king of Israel what we're doing because there's no way that he can avoid us the way he's avoiding us for so long without one of you telling him? Who is it? And one of them puts his hand up and goes, look, I've, I've, I've got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> good news is it's none of us. Whew. Bad news is it's God. There's this dude over there called Elisha and he's so connected up to God that God tells him and then he tells the king of Israel, don't go. And that's why you can't. You're fighting against God. So the king of Aram decides, well, I can't kill God, the God of Israel, so what I'll do is I'll go and kill Elisha. And so he does. So he sends an army out against Elisha, and Elisha has a servant of his that works with him. And the servant goes outside and he looks and he sees this massive army that are coming down the hill towards their house. And here's what happens. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? I wonder if they were the exact words. <laughs> I don't think they would have been mine. Elisha, pass me a clean pair of shorts. Um, oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha, Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots. Didn't matter how many human soldiers were standing there, all of a sudden God opened up his eyes and he saw God's army. And he realised, wow, I've really got nothing to worry about. There were two parallel realities taking place at the same time there was the reality of what he could see with his natural eyes this vast army coming down to take on him and his master Elisha but when God opened up his eyes he saw another reality and that is the reality that God was with them God was for them and it didn't matter what it looked like in the natural God was there worship helps us to focus in on that parallel reality. It's a constant reminder to us that God is with us. No matter what we are going through, no matter what our circumstances are that we find ourselves in, God is with us. He will never leave you or forsake you. He doesn't say that I will leave you when you fail. I'm going to forsake you if you forget to dot an I or cross a T down. I'm going to forsake you for a while. You know? I won't speak to you if you're not perfect until you get your act together and come back to me and then I'm happy to re-communicate with you again. But you get your act together first. He says, I won't leave you and I won't forsake you. That's the promise of God to us. And praise and worship was always about reminding. That's why the, 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 the Levites, that's why the singers would go before the armies of Israel. It would be a, you know what, we're about to go into a physical human battle. People are going to be killed. Blood is going to be shed. This is going to be carnage here. Some of you may not get back to see your families. You know, the brave heart, that kind of carnage. But before we walk into that midnight moment, we are going to remind ourselves there is another reality alongside the one that we are going to be seeing in the natural, and that is that God is with us. And so worship is about reminding ourselves of that other reality, helping us to focus on the real reality. For Christians, this is not real. This is not the full stop. What we see, taste, touch, this is not the full stop. There's a comma. 
And after that, we see with the eyes of God. The sentence is finished, but it's written in a different type of ink. It's a spiritual thing. It's a reality beyond this natural world. It's a real reality that we live in. Does anybody like reality TV? Who likes reality TV? I hate the stuff. First of all, because there's no such thing as reality TV. Because if there wasn't a camera on you, you wouldn't be acting like that. There's no way. No way on this planet. You know what they're doing? They're acting a certain way because they're consciously aware of the reality of the camera that is behind them. They're aware of the camera that's in the lounge room and they act out accordingly in a way that is coming from the knowledge that there are cameras on me. Because there are cameras on me, I'm acting this way. Well, I hate reality TV because they're not acting real. They're just conditioning themselves to the fact that the cameras are there in the lounge room. But it's a great picture of the way Christians should live their lives. We should be living every day aware of the fact that God is in the lounge room. No matter what's going on, no matter what I'm going through, there's a, let's call the camera, God. And we're walking through life with a conscious awareness that God is actually with us. God is with us. He hasn't left us. He won't forsake us. God is with us. We should be living each day with a conscious reality. God is with us. And worship is the thing that helps us to remember that. Remember this. Praising God is not denying the truth, but it's focusing on the right truth. Keeping perspective. I came across a letter some years ago. Dear Mum and Dad, I have so much to tell you because of the, because of the fire in my dorm set off by student riots, I've experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly and we moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant and he got fired because of his drinking. So we're going to move to Alaska where we might get married after the birth of our baby, your loving daughter. P.S. at the bottom of the letter. None of this really happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class and I wanted to keep it in perspective. (laughs) Worship is about perspective. It gives us perspective in life. It brings us to a place of God's perspective, seeing things the way God sees them. Worship is about focusing in on God and getting our eyes off ourselves. It's about what is right with God and not what is wrong with us. You can live your life looking at what is wrong with you. It will just lead you down a dark, depressing path. Or you can learn to focus on what is right about God and getting to the place that God wants us to be in. You know, one of the most amazing things about this story is that when they began to praise God, they actually had no idea an earthquake was coming. They wouldn't have known that God was going to set them free. From their perspective, they probably would have expected that that's the end of us. Maybe this is it. Maybe. Paul had had a few words along the way saying you're going to end up in Rome and you're going to preach the gospel, but if you read his letters, there was an uncertainty about that. I think maybe this, I think maybe that. There was no guarantee or promise these guys were getting out of that prison cell, but they chose to praise God in the midst of that anyway. How powerful is that? Can you do that? Can you actually do that? Can you choose to focus on God in those dark moments? Can you choose to worship God when your hands are tied, your feet are tied, you're hurting, you're tired, you're disappointed? 
and it looks like there's no way out. And you don't even have a word from God to say he's going to get you out of it. Can you do that? Paul and Silas did. And they're a great example for us. How do we respond at midnight? Can we praise God? You know, in the midst of their worship, the Bible says suddenly the answer came. Didn't creep up on them. They didn't see it coming down the horizon. Go, oh, hang on, keep singing, keep singing, keep singing, guys. Come on, come on, let's get up. We can see it. Just says like that suddenly. There was an earthquake. Can you imagine too, sitting there in the earthquake? Do you think their first thought was, wow, that's an answer to prayer? Or do you think they're going, quick, get in the bathtub, cover yourself? Even at that point, they're probably thinking, now, you know what, if that was me, I'd be sitting there going, yeah, well, figures, doesn't it? Beaten, jailed, here, might as well bring an earthquake on. Thanks, God. But the earthquake was God's answer. And the Bible says that their chains fell off and they were set free. The doors of the prison swung open. Let me tell you something. Before we can effectively escape from the prison, God wants us to learn to escape within the prison. Before we can escape from the prison, God wants us to learn to escape within the prison. Paul and Silas were set free well before them chains fell off. Paul and Silas were set free before that earthquake came. How do I know that? Well, because in the midst of that dark, difficult situation, they could get their eyes off themselves and they could worship God. That's freedom. That's freedom. To be so consumed with the vision of God, so aware of the reality of God in your life, that everything that happens goes through that filter and that lens first. I'm not going to react to anything until I can put that lens of God's presence in front of me and see what's happening through that. And it changes my perspective. We need to learn to be set free from within some of our prisons before God will open up the doors for us. Because God's very interested in who we are. He's more interested in who I am than what I do. And he will allow me at times to go through things and to face things and to learn about him and to learn about myself. Paul and Silas were free from that prison before the earthquake ever arrived. That is the power of praise. You see, the circumstances you complain about become the very chains that imprison you. We can complain about everything in our life. Not enough of this, not enough of that. This isn't good enough. That's, we can complain about all these things and those things become the very chains that shackle your arms. They become the very clamps around your legs. They become the very prison door that restricts you from going forward in life. God wants to break that stuff off. God wants to take that stuff away and the weapon, the tool that he's put in our hands to do that is to live a life of praise and worship. I don't mean you've got to walk around singing songs all day. You know, oh, praise I don't mean that. To me, worship and praise are an attitude of heart. It's important that we sing. It's important that we express ourselves to God. But you know what? I praise and worship God sometimes just through talking to him. God, you're awesome. Thank you, God. I, 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 I don't understand it, but I'm so glad that you went through the cross. I'm so grateful for my life right now, God, that, that once upon a time my life was crap. It was going nowhere. It was hopeless. It was useless. And now I look at my life and I have kids and wife and family and, 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 and things are good, God. I come from this background financially and I'm not the richest man on planet Earth, but God, I'm certainly, certainly leaps and bounds ahead of where I was heading before I met you. 
I've got good relationships with good people. I, I love the church here. There's so many great things in life to be appreciative of and to be grateful for and to worship God and to bring all the other dark stuff into perspective from. I want to close with this, Psalm 103. I was going to sing it, but we've already sung it this morning. Psalm 103, it's one of my favourite psalms. What I love about it is it's a man who's going through an incredibly dark stage of his life. David. And he pens this beautiful psalm, Psalm 103. And we sang it this morning, but I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. It's a little bit different than the song. Praise the Lord, I tell myself. Praise the Lord, I tell myself. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, I tell myself. And never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. Even though you may be struggling with something right now, God forgives your sins. He heals all my diseases. You may be struggling with sickness in your body right now. You may have sickness working its way through your system in whatever way. But you know what? He heals all your diseases. God is a healing God. There's the two realities at work. One, yes, I'm sick, but two, my God is a healer. He ransoms me from death. He surrounds me with love and tender mercies. When you don't feel loved, when you don't feel worthy, when you don't feel like anyone should care about you, God surrounds you with love and tender mercies. And Paul, David's saying, I've got to tell myself this. I've got to keep reminding myself of this. Why? Because what I'm going through right now is really dark and depressing, but there's another reality. There's a more real reality than what I'm facing right now. And it's here in this book. It's in the face of Jesus. And I want to focus on that. And I've got to remind myself to look at that reality. Tell myself, he heals my diseases. Tell myself, he forgives my sins. He ransoms me from death and surrounds me with love and tender mercies. Tell myself, he fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. And so on and so on. Paul, David tells himself. It's one of my favourite psalms. Because I find, being the person I am, I've got to remind myself regularly. You know what, our life's not that bad. It's really not that bad. There's always somebody worse off than me. But you know what? I don't even want to look at it that way anymore. There's somebody worse off than me. That's one reality. But another reality is whatever I'm going through, God is with me. And that's the greater reality we need to focus on. Amen? So worship is a powerful, powerful thing. It's not just 15 minutes at the start of a Sunday service. We, uh, as a church, as a as a body, need to capture the value and the power of praise and worship. That it's not just a little bit of entertainment to focus us in on a Sunday morning. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning, God, that, uh, Lord, you are a good God. God, I thank you this morning, Father, that you do forgive our sins. God, I thank you this morning that you do heal our diseases. I thank you this morning, God, that you, you, you take away guilt and you take away shame. That, Father, you take away uh, pain that, God, you pour uh, mercy upon us. God, you pour loving kindness upon us. God, you have abundance of amazing grace to give to each of us, Father. Stuff You have stuff to give us that we could never earn, that we would never, ever deserve, but you give it to us because you are such a loving Father. And we thank you for that this morning, God. And Father, I pray for each person in this room this morning, God. 
Father, with the different issues and things that we are facing. God, I pray as we walk out of this place, you would help us, God, to focus on the real reality. Not just what we see, what we feel. Not just the, the, the natural things that we're in contact with. But God, help us to see the bigger picture, the real reality. Open our eyes as you did Elijah's servant to see that, God, you are in the midst of our world. You are right there and you are doing things. And sometimes we see them and sometimes we don't. But you are with us, Father. God, I pray your blessing upon us uh, for the rest of this week. Father, keep everybody safe. Uh, Lord, just watch over us as we travel home. Father, give us a great time of fellowship around, uh, around the table uh, now as we wrap up uh, this part of the service, Father. We love you. We thank you for the cross. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. Uh, please don't leave. We've got uh, tea and coffee and looks like some great morning tea up the back there too. I can't quite... I need these glasses thing happening, eh? I know there's stuff there. I can see, I can see, I can see men like trees walking. That's what Jesus said. Why don't I see men like trees? I can see plates like cakes up the back somewhere. But uh, hang around, have a great week. Say good day to someone you don't normally talk to and we'll uh, catch you later on in the week. Cheers.